You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. If you ask someone what they know about serial killers, they will most likely mention Jack the Ripper, or Jeffrey Dahmer, or Ted Bundy, and then perhaps branch out from there. In Canada, when you talk to people about serial killers, we have Clifford Olson, Robert Picton, and Paul Bernardo that immediately spring to mind for most. However, one thing that stands out when most people talk about serial killers is that a lot of the most prolific ones are males. You don't often hear too much about female serial killers. Some will say that that is because the stories are not usually all that, quote, interesting, so to speak. One of Canada's most prolific serial killers is a name that most Canadians know, but their memories only really trigger when the name is mentioned. Elizabeth Wettlaufer was found guilty of murdering eight people and attempting to murder six others. Hello, and welcome to episode 45, Elizabeth Wettlaufer, The Serial Killer Nurse, Part 1. Welcome back to GBNF. This is our first episode being back home for the research, writing, and production since our vacation up north. And boy, oh boy, let me tell you, if you haven't ventured up to northern Ontario before, you should make plans to do exactly that. Our trip was breathtakingly beautiful. Not to mention that it really was a bonding experience for the three of us. So much nature, so much fishing, and so much peacefulness. I truly wish that we could have stayed there. One day, the dream is to get away from the city, probably not as far away as we were, and do this podcasting stuff for a living. We can only hope that we get there. Part of that, of course, is getting the word out to others about the show. If you weren't aware, we are right in the middle of running a contest on social media as this episode drops, and you should take some time to check it out, that's for sure. You can enter on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok, and we're giving away some gone but never forgotten merch. If social media isn't your thing, just remember to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or a follow on Spotify, or support the show however you can on whatever platform that you're listening on. The more of you that are out there listening means the more time that we can work on putting out content and less time, well, you know, working for the man. Also, one last reminder, please keep sending us your hashtag BeBetterStories through email or on our socials so that we can share them with everyone. I hope that you're all finding the stories to be as inspiring as I am. We all need that little bit of sunshine in our day. 
It's definitely Julie's way of getting that beautiful flower to grow in the middle of our desolate field of depressing true crime. It's probably a good thing that I also let her decorate the house. Dark and dreary would be the motif if I allowed you to pick, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But I will make it perfectly clear that my decorating style is not as dark as the decorating style of Catherine Knight, who we talked about a couple of episodes ago. This week's episode, though, will be less gory and graphic than that episode was. This week, we will talk about the life of Elizabeth Wetlofer. Elizabeth Wetlofer was born as Elizabeth Tracy May Parker on June 10, 1967. She was born in Zora Township in southwestern Ontario. She was born to her mother, Hazel Parker, and her father, Doug Parker, and she was raised in a very conservative Baptist family. Doug and Hazel were very religious, and according to Elizabeth and others, they were very strict, controlling, and specific about life and how it was to be lived. From a very young age, Elizabeth was said to have been very shy and awkward. As always sadly seems to be the case with kids, this led to a lot of bullying for Elizabeth. She attended Huron Park Secondary School in Woodstock, Ontario. She was known then as Beth Parker, adding the E on at the end of Beth so she would stand out. It was said that her life started to get better as she got into high school. She was involved in things at school, becoming the goalie for the school field hockey team, and also participating in many different school bands and the school choir. She had at least come out of her shell as she grew up and discovered who she was. However, things were still not always peachy for Elizabeth. She still had struggles, and she was also said to have been very devious and vindictive in high school. An example of that that we found in our research was a story told of when she pulled a fire alarm at school to try and get a certain student in trouble for it. She always seemed to have a plan. As far as her love life, it was not really existent in high school. Elizabeth would explore bisexuality and decide that she was perhaps asexual in high school, meaning essentially that she did not crave or desire sexual contact from anyone. Originally, Elizabeth wanted to pursue a career in journalism, based on her love for writing poetry, or she wanted to study drama. However, as she got older, she realized that rather than pursuing writing or drama, she wanted to pursue her interests that had developed around medication and guidance. She did exactly that and graduated from London Baptist Bible College, now known as Heritage Baptist College, with her bachelor's degree in religious education and counseling. I feel like now might be a good time to share more about Elizabeth's father, Doug. He was very controlling, and both Elizabeth and her mom were expected to check in with him, be under his watchful eye at most times, and follow his rules. To show you what extent that Doug would go to, I want to mention that when Elizabeth enrolled at LBBC, Doug did the same. Seemingly, mostly so that he could ensure that his daughter was not living free and loose as he expected that most college students did. Elizabeth would get in trouble with her parents and the school when she was found to have attended a gay-friendly church, as that was simply not acceptable. She was sent home from school for a time because of it. Her parents would also unfortunately put her through, quote, reparative therapy, unquote, 
to try and stop her from being gay. Elizabeth would later say that all of this caused her to have a deep-rooted feelings of hatred towards herself. She felt that any time that she started to discover more of who she was, someone was angry about what she found. You can certainly see here how as a child, teen, and young adult, all of this would affect her. I think that all of us sadly know of people that were bullied fiercely in school. That combined with Elizabeth's home life certainly didn't lead to a good upbringing. I can have some empathy here for sure. I won't go too deeply into the entire nature and nurture chat, but I certainly see why some of these people that do horrible things later in life can be traced back to how people treated them when they were in their formative years. I can understand that. For those of you out there that do not know what reparative therapy is, it is also known as conversion therapy. It is a psychotherapy that is aimed at changing a person's homosexuality, and it is based on the view that homosexuality is a mental disorder. I will clearly say that our personal opinions are that this is not fathomable. No person should ever have to go through something like this. Elizabeth pushed on, though. She would go on to study nursing at Conestaga College. While she was studying, she had many different jobs in the Woodstock area, including a job working at a social services agency for disabled people. Elizabeth would marry Donnie Wetlaufer in 1997. Donnie was a truck driver. The two would be married for 11 years and have no children together. After finding out that Elizabeth was forming relationships online with women, Donnie would divorce Elizabeth, saying that she was very sick. Elizabeth was also diagnosed with mental health problems. One of the diseases that she was diagnosed with was bipolar disease. But let's get back to that nursing degree first. Elizabeth attended Conestoga for three years and became a registered nurse in 1995. After becoming a nurse in 1995, she worked many different jobs, all in the London and Woodstock area of southwestern Ontario. In 2007, she would be brought on staff at Crescent Care, a long-term care home in Woodstock. Long-term care is exactly what it sounds like. It is a place where services are provided and designed to meet a person's health or personal care needs over a long period of time, often until death. These places provide an atmosphere where people can live as independently and safely as possible when they can no longer perform their everyday activities on their own. 2007, if you kept up as we raced through a decade there, was a tumultuous time in the life of Elizabeth. She was changing jobs, suffering from her mental health problems, and also suffering from addictions to opioids and alcohol. She also was dealing with the ensuing divorce from Donnie, and everything was clearly not going well for Elizabeth. When Elizabeth first started at Caressant Care, her co-workers thought that she was going to be a very effective part of their team. First, she showed herself to be very caring and incredibly professional as well. However, it didn't take long for people to see that Elizabeth was having problems. It became clear to everyone at Crescent Care that Elizabeth was struggling with substance abuse and alcoholism. She started to face accusations at work of showing up drunk, and one time she was even found in the basement of the care center, passed out on her night shift. She would also be suspended four different times for, quote, medication-related errors, unquote. 
After working there for seven years, she would finally have her position with Caressant Care terminated in March of 2014 for what was described at the time as a serious incident involving her giving the wrong medication to a patient. From there, Elizabeth's life was spiraling out of control. That much could be seen by everyone around her. However, the sad reality is that nobody knew the depths of the sins that Elizabeth was committing, or... I should say almost nobody, but we'll get to that later. After being fired from caressant care, Elizabeth found it difficult to hold down a job for any significant length of time. She was hired by Meadow Park Care Centre in London, Ontario, but she lost her job when she checked herself into a drug rehab facility in the Niagara area. After she would take temp jobs whenever and wherever she could at other care homes in the London and Woodstock area. I want to interject for a second here because, like, I actually tried to find the way that this part was written in so many different areas when I was researching because I was kind of like, I hope there's more to the story, but, like, she literally lost her job because she checked herself into rehab. Like, I don't think that's something that should be okay. This woman was trying to help herself. I get that, like, you know, that took her out of the workplace or whatever, but it's not like she just had a problem. She was trying to fix herself. So that bothered me a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. For two and a half years after being fired from Crescent Care, that really was Elizabeth's life. She bounced around from care center to care center, and she took whatever odd jobs that she could find. At the same time, she seemed to be trying, at least, to deal with some of her issues. We mentioned that she checked herself into a drug rehab center. She would do that for a second time on September 16th of 2016. That was the day that Elizabeth checked herself into an inpatient drug rehab program at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, also known as CAMH, which is a psychiatric hospital in Toronto. While Elizabeth was there, she confessed to the CAMH staff that she had killed and attempted to kill her patients in her time being a nurse. As we discussed, she had been reprimanded in the past at Caressant Care for giving the wrong medication and giving too much medication. However, she was now saying that there were not any accidents involved, and she had deliberately done all of the things that she'd been accused of in the past, and more. The kicker here, though? This was not the first time that Elizabeth would tell someone that she was a murderer. The people in the past, however, did not call the police. That's where CAMH was different. CAMH certainly did make sure that the proper people were aware of what Elizabeth was saying and confessing to. CAMH immediately got into contact with the College of Nurses of Ontario and the Toronto Police Services. Elizabeth then emailed the College of Nurses herself to resign as a registered nurse, and in the email she said that she had, quote, deliberately harmed patients in her care and was now being investigated by the police for the same, unquote. She also personally called an investigator who worked for the College of Nurses and even had staff at CAMH fax a four-page handwritten confession of her crimes. Well, this is certainly the way that things should be done when someone tells you that they've purposely killed someone, or hell, even if they say they've purposely hurt someone. You mentioned that there were other people who knew that Elizabeth had killed, and I alluded to that earlier. I think that now is a good time to share those details. 
Let's talk about and let's let people know the trustworthy members of society who knew that they were interacting with a killer. This is directly from the Canadian Encyclopedia. Quote, Wetlawfer confessed her crimes to several people before they came to light in 2016. Among those she told were a former boyfriend, a student nurse working at Caressant Care, a pastor and his wife, a lawyer and an ex-girlfriend, all of whom did not report her to police. Some told her they would do so if they found out she killed again, while others dismissed her claims entirely. Unquote. Yep. This woman wasn't keeping it a secret that she was a killer. Alright. First of all, if someone straight face tells you that they killed someone, just go to the police. It's really that simple. I don't care if it's your best friend or your long-term husband or wife. Go to the police. Let the police decide if their claim is bullshit or not. But those people that told her that they would report her if she killed again? Seriously, what the hell were you thinking? Oh, you only murdered once? Twice? Where's the line? How many people does someone have to kill before you think that you should report them? Those people are just as guilty as Elizabeth if any of those crimes happened after she told them that she had killed before. I hope that they live with that on their consciences forever. Can you believe that the lawyer told her to keep it a secret? There are snakes among us everywhere we go. It doesn't matter the job. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. There are unfortunately bad and evil people all around us. I can't even say, well, that was a bad decision. Nope. You're a bad person. If someone tells you that they killed someone and you don't do anything and you are even worse, if you just kind of say, shh, don't talk about that. I don't even know what to add to that, really. Elizabeth would go on to give police a two-hour confession. She would be officially charged then on October 25th of 2016 for eight murders. After police investigated further, they also charged her with four counts of attempted murder and two counts of aggravated assault. Those charges came on January 13, 2017. We'll stop the story there for this week. Just a quick episode this week to let you know who Elizabeth was and what her life was like before, during, and after the crimes that she committed. Next week, we're going to talk about the people whose lives were drastically affected, changed, and ended by Elizabeth as she went on her path of terror. We certainly feel that it's important that we mention the name of the victims and talk about their lives. While you can learn things by examining killers and criminals, what is important is that we never forget about the people that they committed their crimes against. And then, in episode number three, we'll take a look at what happened in court and after court. We'll look at the reasons that Elizabeth committed her crimes, the ways that she committed her crimes, and we will actually take a look at an interesting interview that took place with her after she was in prison, as she broke down what made her have the ability to commit the crimes that she committed and what she thinks needs to be changed so that people don't do what she did. Many have said, and we believe this as well, that if Elizabeth had not admitted the crimes that she had committed, she would have never been caught. The world of long-term care homes is a rough place, and people do sadly pass away often while living within. Unfortunately, far too often, perhaps, things are not analyzed in a deeper way as they should be when someone passes away in a home. 
The reality is that the crimes that Elizabeth had committed were over and done with quite a time before she admitted to committing them. It's very sad and hard to believe, but yes, one of Canada's most notorious serial killers is only behind bars because she chose to come forward and admit to the crimes. There obviously was not any heat on her or even seemingly any police interest in her before she spoke up at Cam H. Thank goodness that she did. I think that the real question is precise. We need to ensure that there are not holes for people like this to slip through. Our most vulnerable in this society are our children and our seniors. We need to make sure that older generations are not mistreated in any way, and we certainly need to ensure that we are not letting people take their lives without asking questions and seeking answers. Yes, I agree with all of that, and I have to say that this is one of the sickest cases that we've gone through because this is someone who took advantage of people, you know, people where you're supposed to trust them, you know, and I feel like this is like you're in a a building full of people that trust you and you decide to use that power for evil, essentially. Just wait until you find out how she did it. It's going to hit really close to home for you. I don't even, oh, it's like, it's so bad, you know, because when you go to the hospital or a nursing home, anywhere that has a nurse or a doctor, those people are supposed to take care of you and they take an oath to take care of you and do what's best for you and in this case she is using that trust to do bad things because she's like well no one will know it's fine she's so good at hiding and doing whatever she needs to do to make it look normal you know essentially um like we said there was people who passed away in the nursing home and no one questioned it you know, yeah. it was just like, oh, they were they were elderly, they you know, whatever. Well, so, don't worry. Like I said, you're going to get to see why it wasn't questioned quite as much. So in a way, I'm excited to hear that because now I'm really intrigued. But in another way, I'm just like, oh, this is so sick. I can't even. Yeah. No, it so. is. It's very <laughs> sick. It's. I'll just say kind of as a spoiler alert, you know, there's always that joke about how an icicle is a perfect murder weapon because it'll disappear. Well, it's not an icicle, but you'll see. It was very much a silent killer and something that's very hard to trace. Whoa, that's crazy. How's that for a hook? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, Before we go, we want to remind everyone that until Friday, September 2nd, 2022, you can visit our pages on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to enter our contest for $50 in GBNF merch. I also know that Julie is working on something for our TikTok page, so you can also probably go there after this episode goes live and enter on TikTok and see us be a couple of goofs. You can grab some hashtag Be Better merch or anything else that we have available on our TeePublic page. What you win is essentially your choice. So get over to each of our socials and enter for your chance to win. You may enter once on every social media platform. That's right. We can't wait to announce the winners of our second contest here at GBNF. I'm so excited because we have a lot of really good merch and we actually have a little bit more variety than we did the first time our store came out. So go check it out and uh, hopefully you can win something. Yep. So this week we actually didn't have a hashtag Be Better story sent to us that we felt was suitable to go on the air. Um, We do have some that I think are almost too personal, but I might think of a way to tie it into the Patreon page or something in the future. 
But um, because there's a hole here, we're going to remind you, please, please send us your hashtag Be Better Stories. Send us an email or a DM and let us know about you or someone else and the situation they were in where them or someone else went way above and beyond and they were being better people. Well, and you know what my one of my favorite parts about all this is, Lance, is that you hear stories from people in your city, right? We've heard one from Barry, and then there's some that we hear from not in Barry, but it's like it's just goodness all around. You know, it's like sometimes the same thing that you think is just a regular whatever happened halfway around the world. Yep. You know, so I really like that. So um, I look forward to reading more of them. With that, we will bid you adieu for another week. Please remember to come back for the next two episodes on this case and join us as we unravel all of the elements within. Until then, we wish you well. We hope you keep jumping on the bandwagon for our hashtag Be Better movement. And most of all, we want to thank you for joining us here on Gone But Never Forgotten.